one of the great uh, traditions of British sport, which is where you expected me to start, um, is that of the FA Cup. And there's over a thousand eligible clubs uh, that can take part, but about 800 of them actually do. And over the course of about eight or nine months, they'll uh, take part in knockout rounds and gradually uh, higher ranked teams are introduced into the competition. And so if a club has a good run in the cup, if they start winning some games, then they start playing clubs which are much more higher ranked than them. And generally, that means playing against clubs that have better resources than they do, a better uh, income, um, better players, uh, more substantial facilities. And so um, then uh, a bigger fan base too. So they get to go and play uh, a well-supported club and uh, a much larger crowd comes to the game and there's a boost to the coffers of the small team making their cup run. Uh, but then they have to get onto the pitch and they have to face a, a tough opposition. And this sort of mismatched competition is, is part of what people uh, who, who like to, to follow the cup, who um, are into football, like to see. Um, there's maybe two things that could be could be appreciated from the game, and one is to see a sort of uh, contrast of, of professionalism with uh, players who maybe are not used to, to playing at a high level, eating a pie on the bench or going out the back of the stadium for a cigarette at half-time, and uh, against kind of elite athletes, um, it's uh, a studying contrast, but perhaps a more uh, gracious uh, appreciation is, and, and a very British one at heart, is to see the underdog uh, battle with a much larger opponent and maybe overcome them. Uh, last season, even, um, then fifth tier Grimsby Town went on a run all the way to, I think it was the quarterfinals, and they beat Premier League side uh, Southampton. And so um, a real string of substantial victories there, uh, overcoming um, all these teams with much larger resources, much more skillful opposition and so on. So uh, how, then do people, how then do these teams tend to overcome um, that sort of a difference? How do they make up the disadvantage? Generally the cliche uh, would be to, to blame the, the bigger team and say that they weren't as up for it, they weren't as interested in the game. And then that contrast is made with the smaller side, which uh, who, who really show their passion, their a desire to be taking part in this, this match and they'll run harder, they'll not uh, let uh, something go to another player, they'll battle for it, they'll put the extra effort in, they'll run a little bit further, they'll focus more than they would on a, a normal Saturday afternoon playing uh, at home. And so these, um, a combination of, of physical and mental attributes that they really um, take that mentality of, of being on a big stage and uh, they use it to overcome a deficit um, of various kinds. And perhaps we look at that, that sort of a be uh, behavior and we'd say that they, they played with vigor or they gave a gutsy uh, performance or a spirited one. And you see the toll that it takes on these players. Uh, by the end of the game, they're wiped out. Uh, they come off the pitch, chest heaving, 
sweat pouring off them, and then they go and slump against anything that will hold their weight. And uh, they need time to recover from, from pushing themselves from that extra exertion because they've, they've uh, taken on board what's uh, needed for this, uh, this performance. And um, that, just that little link between um, the mentality and, and the effect on the, the respiratory system is one that the Bible um, has encoded in its very languages. In the Greek and the Hebrew, we might um, find kind of fluffy terms to try and describe these things, but um, the, the Greek and the Hebrew words uh, for spirit mean breath. And when someone acts in a spirited fashion, when they show this vigor, when they're uh, combining uh, physical and mental attributes um, in a certain way that uh, we call uh, activity of the spirit, then it causes them to um, uh, be tired, they're breathing harder, and that breath, uh, that um, sign of the spirit in a person, that someone's um, been doing something in that activity. And it's not just activity, but it's life itself. And uh, we have right at the beginning of our Bibles, in Genesis 2 and 7, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature and so our earthly lives are defined by um, our breath given to us by God and our bodies and uh, together um, we, we are then able to act in ways which we will call spiritual but we've not really defined them just yet so and uh, our focus is not uh, particularly on our own spirit just now, uh, but on the spirit of God. Perhaps just reading that verse in Genesis, you might think that the spirit of God, and then taking that idea that the spirit is breath, well, the spirit of God is just something which comes out of him. It's just something that's a result of God. And... Um, then, you know, he, it's something he shares with us, and it's not really anything more than that. But by the time we get to the judges, we see that that's uh, no longer um, an idea that we can sustain and, and hold as biblically accurate. Because the Spirit of God begins to work in these men, and we'll start in chapter 13, if you want to follow along, but it'll only be a couple of verses at a time. And um, so the Spirit of God begins to um, take hold of, of men and women and cause them to act in certain ways. And the most uh, well-known of these, the most consistent, uh, most commonly referred to is Samson. And so in, in chapter 13 of Judges and verse 24, the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. The child grew up and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan, between Zorah and Eshtol. And so um, <clears throat> there's a, a sense of, of a purpose brewing here. Something's going to happen. There's plans for this man who's uh, been born. And the Spirit of God is, is uh, the agent who's uh, going to begin to seed these plans. Over in chapter 15... And verse 13, 
So the uh, men of Judah said to him, at Samson, no, but we'll bind you fast and give you into the hands of the Philistines. Yet, surely we will not kill you. Then they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up to the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted as they met him. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, so that the ropes that were on his arms were as flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds dropped from his hands. He found the fresh jawbone of a donkey, so that he reached out and took it, and killed a thousand men with it. And so, we're not talking, when we talk about the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit, about an abstract force. We're not talking about something that just comes out of um, the rest of God. But we're considering uh, something which can form purposes. Something which also gives strength and power to Samson and causes him to act in a certain way. So he has the the power to fulfil those purposes which he intends. And so, yes, um, we should not refer to him uh, by anything other than personal pronouns because he is God. And through the rest of the day, we'll establish... um, Uh, how and why we can put him on full equality with the Father and the Son, but we see uh, here attributes of his person, the ability to think, decide, and plan, and then uh, the strength and might to bring uh, those plans into action as he did through Samson. And Samson, again, like the the plucky underdog football team, he's uh, exceeding his natural... um, Uh, the expectations that we have of him and the Spirit of God takes him far beyond them, gives him a power um, that enables him to take on uh, this army of 1,000 soldiers. And so um, he would be engaged in physical activity out of the cause of this Holy Spirit. But it's not just in the Old Testament that we see Uh, the Spirit of God active and so if we go to Matthew 3 we'll see him present again verse 13 Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan coming to John to be baptised by him John tried to prevent him saying I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permit this at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom... I am well pleased. And so there's just a picture of these three persons of God whom we call Trinity, the Father speaking, the Spirit uh, descending, and the Son um, there in baptism, fulfilling all righteousness. And so uh, these are are distinct persons. The Holy Spirit is not a a component of God. He's not a a sub-part of Um, like we might uh, think of uh, perhaps our own spirit being a part of us, but when we talk of the Holy Spirit, then we're talking about a complete person uh, as much as we talk about the Father 
being a complete person of God. And we saw also uh, that uh, Jesus' justification to, to John as he went down into the river was, we're going to be fulfilling things. There's, there's words being spoken that need to come to pass. And uh, perhaps those words he was referring to uh, are those of Isaiah chapter 11. shoot, that's the start of the chapter, a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And so, uh, having established um, the Holy Spirit as a person, we now see some of his personality here and um, he brings wisdom and understanding, he's someone who um, is a a thinking and considerate person he's skillful in the way he chooses to act, we've thought of him having purposes but they're not um, they're not random or haphazard, Um, he acts in wisdom, he chooses well from all the options, what is the right thing to do what is the most pleasing thing to God uh, in this moment. And with understanding and counsel, he can give that um, understanding to others. He can uh, impart that. He's a a communicator too, just as much as he brings might, as he did to Samson, and uh, that overwhelming physical uh, activity. um, The spirit acts that way also. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So not just uh, activity and and choosing a right path, but in uh, quiet moments uh, he's able to to confer to us too uh, knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Um, And we'll consider that in more detail later. But we see um, these things uh, being established, being set up um, as Jesus goes down into baptism. And we see uh, the, the, the suite of, of purposes that are uh, brought um, or are going to be planned to be done with in concert with the Spirit of God. And likewise, we too live, um, having come and uh, put our faith in the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit uh, enables us too to live. And he continues in these sets of activity Nothing that we've read about him uh, involves him being passive or, um, or idle, but he's always acting. He's, he's uh, stirring up in Samson. He's um, causing him to, to do these um, uh, acts of deliverance. He's um, choosing right ways in wisdom. He's bringing counsel in communication. He's stirring people up in might, causing them to act. Everything is an activity. Everything is, is full of energy. And when he comes and he works with us, and we describe uh, those activities in the gifts which he gives us, they're all activities too. Uh, for the preacher, for the administrator, for the one engaged in hospitality, they're all working, they're all exercising um, mentally or, or physically, causing themselves to, 
to be put out of breath at the, the exertion uh, that's brought about by the Spirit in its fullness, in the fullness of that uh, collaboration. And then as we go and rest, as we need to, to recuperate and take time out uh, in that rest, he continues to work as he's able to bring those uh, counsels of God, that knowledge, that understanding of him. As we rest in his word, he mediates um, the understanding of it to us. So even as we rest, he continues uh, to work with all the, the vigor, all the uh, spirited activity that we should expect of someone whose very name is the Spirit of God. And so through the rest of the day, we'll be looking forward uh, to, to engaging with him uh, as we open up the scriptures. It's, it's only by him that we're going to be able to understand them as we exercise uh, collectively our ability to understand and to perceive. Well, he's active too, and he'll be uh, working with us through this day.